0: Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody! Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is January the fifth, two thousand and eighteen. My goodness gracious! The beginning of a new year. I wish all of you a very happy, healthy, peaceful, and successful new year. I hope it's a year of fulfillment of your dreams, uh, and I hope it's a year of peace for everybody. I thank you for joining me. Always great to catch up with you. I was. Missing in action last week with the holidays and everything else going on, but I'm back in the saddle and uh, raring to go this year. So much going on. Uh, but again, those of you who are familiar with me, familiar with the program, know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the INS, uh, an agency that has now been uh, sliced and diced and, and folded and mutilated and put under the umbrella of the Department of Homeland Security. And finally, indeed, the administration is attempting, attempting to um, instill security into this country. Uh, remarkably, there are Amer- Americans who have been drinking the Kool-Aid for far too long and seem to be pushing back. Uh, and you have to wonder if they really understand what's going on. But, you know, The truth is a very difficult commodity to come by at the best of times Uh, and in this wacky era, my goodness gracious. Uh, So that's the purpose of this program, to dispel the myths, kind of like the Mythbusters, but no explosives involved. And and to provide you with the information that the mainstream media is doing everything possible to keep from the American people. Uh, My 30-year career with the INS gave me a front row seat. To the immigration crisis and the fact that, as I've always liked it to say, immigration is not a single issue but a singular issue because it impacts virtually every challenge and every threat that America and Americans face in this perilous and difficult era. Uh, you know, I write for a bunch of websites. Let me put those out there to begin with. Um, many of my articles can be found at capsweb.org, Californians for Population Stabilization. Uh, But of late, I have been doing uh, the bulk of my writing for a wonderful website sponsored by the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And of course, I'm talking about Front Page Magazine. I also write for The Social Contract. And uh, this past week, Newsmax posted uh, one of my articles, and we're going to begin talking about Newsmax. So uh, check out Newsmax also. And in fact, uh, on December the 18th, I was over at Fox News, uh, Fox and Friends First, the uh, Godly hour of 4.30 in the morning. There I was in front of the cameras with Heather uh, Childers to discuss DACA. I jokingly told the uh, folks in the green room that DACA rhymes with caca, and for good reason. We'll talk a little bit about DACA this evening also. But let me start out with the article that I wrote for Newsmax. Um, and the way that um, it was entitled, Trump Should Rescind Work Authorization, For H-4 visas. Now, we've talked a lot about the H-1B visa program. The H-1B is supposedly uh, for aliens who have uh, high skills, high uh, technical skills, um, and where Americans aren't available or where the salaries are high enough that supposedly it doesn't put them in competition with Americans. It wouldn't displace Americans. Of course, if you believe that story, I've got a bridge or perhaps a wall to sell you. But in any event, we've heard much about the H-1B visa programs, predominantly uh, citizens of India, but not only from India. I want to be very careful. We're not singling out any one country as far as these visas go, but India has made a concerted effort to flood the world with their employees. And it's paid off handsomely for the Indian economy, according to latest statistics available at the World Bank and elsewhere, India leads the world in remittances, money being wired home. Last year, $65 billion, with a B, $65 billion flowed into the Indian economy, not just from the United States, but from countries around the world where Indian workers went to find employment. And so the Indian economy benefits tremendously. And I want to be clear, I don't blame Indian workers who come to America They're acting in their own best interests. Okay, I never blame anybody who acts within the law and in a way that provides them with whatever advantage they're seeking. We all do that. We all do that. You know, whether it's taking a a non toll road when traffic is light. So we save the toll or, or, or looking for a promotion. We do all sorts of things that are advantageous to us. Only a damn fool wouldn't. Of course, the damn fools are the American people who keep voting for the politicians who are not acting in the best interests of the average American, wouldn't you think? But the folks who come from India come here because they can make more money here than they can back home, and they wind up displacing Americans. So we hear this nonsense, one of those big lies, oh, you know, if we didn't import people from other countries, the best and brightest from around the world, as Gates likes to say, you know, Bill Gates from Microsoft, well, then we're going to suffer— Listen, the world's best and brightest have a name. We call them Americans. Americans built the Panama Canal, okay? Americans um, did the first airplane flight. Americans created the phone networks. Americans created the Internet. Americans landed men on the moon repeatedly, and every single one was returned safely to the Earth, and I had the privilege of meeting a number of those astronauts Uh, Boy, oh, boy, those folks could be wearing red capes uh, like Superman because they're extraordinary human beings and they were all Americans. An American pilot by the name of Chuck Yeager was the first pilot to break the sound barrier. American space probes are hurtling out of the solar system even as we speak. What can't Americans do? They apparently can't get good politicians or few politicians who will really look out for them, even though they promise, oh, we're going to create the jobs and then screw Americans out of those jobs. So therein lies the problem. But the H-1B visa program is specifically designed for the high-tech workers and their dependents, that is to say their wives and kids, uh, come to America not with H-1B visas, but H-4 visas. This might sound a little confusing, but just bear with me. H-4 visas are for the, the dependents, the spouses and children of Aliens who've been granted H-1B visas. And up until 2015, aliens who came with H-4 visas were not allowed to work in the United States, which makes sense. They are not coming here to work. They don't have a work visa. They are coming here because their primary parent, the primary, you know, alien, I should say, not parent, the one that's working here is here. and They don't want to be separated from their parent or their spouse. So they're given permission to come here. And along comes Barack Obama, and he says, "Oh, you know what? Why don't we let them work? Why don't we let them work? Forget the fact that this will put them into competition with American workers, because H-4 visa holders can work on any job their heart desires, as long as the employer is willing to hire them. It doesn't matter about salary. They could be mowing lawns, they could be doing electrical work, they could be teaching, they can be working as uh, checkout clerks in a local supermarket." Whatever job they want, they can pick from any job the way that an American can. And why? Because the breadwinner of that family was granted an H-1B visa. By the way, let's be fair about it. Ted Cruz, as I recall, wanted something similar. So you have politicians from both sides of the aisle saying, great, let's flood America with more and more and more and more foreign workers, because then we can drive down the wages and we could make our friends who give us those campaign contributions very happy. We can please the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. That's what this is about. Well, in comes Donald Trump. Now remember what he said. We're going to make America great again by looking out for Americans. Trump has repeatedly said, um, let's bring jobs back to America and let's make certain, and no one has said this for decades, let's make certain that American hands do those jobs And you have people who are registered Democrats screaming about this. I'm a registered Democrat. Can't tell you the last time I voted for one. The wheels came off their wagon a long time ago. I'm a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. And so to me, blue-collar America is the segment of of our country that builds things, that actually does things uh, that that we need, whether it's putting together cars or working on construction or, or repairing vehicles or or air conditioners are working on assembly lines. Blue-collar America rocks, except increasingly blue-collar Americans are being displaced by automation, by robots, by artificial intelligence. And increasingly, by the way, this is also going to start to happen to the white-collar jobs. Work will become, and jobs will become increasingly scarce as technology increases by leaps and bounds. And technology increases... Um, Uh, exponentially it doesn't double every five years it doubles and quadruples and so forth so we are hurtling down the road to automation farm work automated construction work not yet but soon i don't doubt it Uh, look at those programs you know how it's made and they show the auto factories it used to be that all you had were people on the assembly line screwing the cars together welding the cars assembling them by hand Today, many factories are are perhaps 90% automated. What happened to those workers? They're out of there. So as we are decreasing the need for labor, we're bringing in more workers. And Donald Trump said, wait a minute, this is going the wrong way. So along comes a, a, a publication in India, a website called Quartz India. And I saw the article. And as soon as I saw this article, I said, you know something? I have to write about this, because it blew me over. It it left me almost catatonic, but not quite, because really, if you want to shock me today, tell the story honestly, and then maybe you could stop my heart. I'm used to lies and, and nonsense, and boy, oh boy, this article. Well, let's see if it sets your hair on fire. This is an Indian publication, Quartz India. This was on December 18, 2017, And it was published under the subheading of Back in Limbo. And here is the title. Sit down, put your seatbelt on, brace yourself, brace for impact. Here it comes. Under Trump, Indian H-1B wives fear becoming, are you ready for this? Second class citizens. Again. Again, second class citizens. How in God's green earth could a non-immigrant alien from another country here for a finite temporary visit fear being a second-class citizen when they're not entitled to be any kind of citizen at all except a citizen of India? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. It's beyond belief. But unfortunately, this is the kind of crap that passes for business as usual and journalism in this twisted world. Fake news is not limited to the United States. Make no mistake about it. And the lies and the hits just keep on coming. So here's this article. I got to read this again. Listen carefully. Under Trump, H 1B wives fear becoming second class citizens again. Because why again? Mr. Obama lifted them out of second class citizenship really? And how did he do that? By allowing them to work in the United States. And the article goes on and on, and you really need to read it. Go to Newsmax. You can bring up my article, and the links are all there. When I do articles, I always provide the links. I want you to see what it was that predicated whatever it is that I wrote. I want you to see it, and you decide for yourself. The the lunacy by the way, if you falsely claim to be an American citizen, you're violating federal law, it's Title 18, United States Code, Section 911, appropriately enough, and, and it calls for a maximum of three years in jail. This is a felony. And yet, we have people from India, and the article goes on and says, well, mostly the H 1B visa holders are men, so Donald Trump is actually, are you ready? Attacking women who are citizens of India. We have a president of the United States who has the unmitigated chutzpah to put his own citizens ahead of citizens from India. Who could have ever imagined the US president doing such a dastardly deed, putting American citizens first? How dare he? Because for decades, we have pushed Americans to the back of the line. Americans to the back of the line. And who's getting hammered the worst usually? America's minorities. Blacks, Latinos, doesn't matter. There's a wonderful movie that you really need to see. It's called Hidden Figures. It's about black women who were computer programmers. They just called them uh, computers, believe it or not, like the machine computers. They did the calculations for the early U.S. manned space program for Project Mercury. And the topic of, of computer programmers is close to my heart. My first wife, may she rest in peace, was a systems programmer. She was a member of management at the Stock Exchange so consequently, so many of our friends were programmers. These are brilliant, dedicated, hardworking, talented, highly skilled workers, and people who work IT, the the information technology jobs, generally are working 24/7. I can't tell you how many times the phone would ring in the middle of the night, repeatedly. It was like living in a firehouse. As a federal agent, you would expect I would get calls at night, and I did, but more frequently. Um, I wasn't the one getting the calls. Understand the level of devotion and dedication you need to have to be a computer programmer. And you looked at these black ladies who had the qualifications, but between being black and being women, they were treated truly like second-class citizens. They were the second-class citizens and they fought and they struggled and they battled. And one woman in fact was told, well, you might have the required degree But you need extension courses, and there's no black schools that offer it. And this lady was so determined. This is based on a true story. This wasn't a fairy tale. She went to court and represented herself and convinced the judge to allow her to go to what had been an all-white school, but as the judge said, only at night. And she argued brilliantly, and they don't doubt that what was said in the movie was taken from the court records, she said to this judge, "What do you want to be the first? We just sent Alan Shepard into space, the first American to touch the stars. You have a chance to be the first also, something that will be remembered 100 years from now if you let me, as a black woman, go to that school. And you could see the judge was beside himself, and he very quietly said, you can go to school at night. I will give you that authority. I will stand behind you. What an amazing breakthrough! But how heartbreaking and infuriating that American black women were treated like garbage. Okay, this is what was happening. So look at all the struggles. Look at about look at the equal rights movement. Look at the civil rights movement. The idea that people would be treated equally, equally, and so now look what we're doing to all Americans. If anyone is getting second class citizenship, it's hard working Americans hardworking Americans all that those black women wanted to do was to have meaningful careers make a difference and help our country send John Glenn and the other astronauts at first into orbit and then the the future successes that our space program uh created and it was a true story in fact one of the women is still alive still married to her husband according to the movie she's 97 years old and was given the Medal of Freedom by, uh, by President Obama. So you look at these hard-fought struggles. Back then, they, only allowed, they had colored and, and white bathrooms at NASA. And a great scene, I don't want to ruin it for you, but it was dealt with by, by a compassionate and logical and reasonable boss, uh, so much for colored bathrooms. His, his wonderful line is at NASA, we all pee the same color. So when you think about all those struggles, the indignities, and now we are importing foreign workers to take the jobs that Americans have been doing for decades. And if you dare suggest that this isn't fair, you're a racist and a bigot. The racists and bigots are the ones who hate Americans of all colors, all religions, all ethnicities. We're American, e pluribus unum. We hear this crap about Latino voters as though an American citizen who is of Latino ethnicity is somehow different from all other Americans? I've said it before, and I'm compelled to say it again. If you believe that any American, based on race, religion, or ethnicity, is different because of that from any other American, there's a word for you. You're a bigoted, racist dirtbag, okay? But does it doesn't matter that people are Latino. That doesn't equate with law violator. And that's what the pollsters do. Well, we've done a survey, and if the president wants to appeal to the Latino voters, he's got to allow millions of illegal aliens to come into the United States and give them citizenship. Really? You know, when I travel around the country, I can't tell you how many Americans have come up to me and said, Mr. Cutler, and they hug me. I'm a Latina. I'm Hispanic. I'm furious. I'm furious that we're always insulted this way, this notion of Latino voters. They say to them, don't feel bad. They talk about Jewish voters and black voters and Christian voters the same way. So if you want to do demographics and you're a pollster, so you've got to go out there with your magic marker and your colored charts and all the other BS that goes with it. It's a make-believe industry that they've created for themselves uh, with the 24-hour news cycle. It's legitimate to talk about the concerns of an American who's retired. He has different concerns from the American who's graduating next year with a degree from a university. Americans who live on farms have different concerns than Americans who live in the city. Americans who have high school diplomas versus college degrees, different concerns again. People who have children have different concerns than people who don't have children. There are many ways that you could look at demographics that are reasonable, but incredibly what we're seeing are demographics that are race-based, religion-based. That's how bigotry is disguised. And that's what this really is, folks. It's unmitigated bigotry. This nonsense about Latino voters is profiling of the most disgusting kind. So if you want to look at the nonsense, and you see this movie, uh, Hidden Figures, and then you look at this complaint, about how unfair the president is being to people from India. Well, guess who he is being fair to? American citizens. And then there's a a part in the story that talks about this woman. Let me read this to you because this blew my mind. This is a paragraph from that article from, from Quartz India. Rashi... Bhatnagar gave up her career as a journalist when she left India in 2009 and moved to the U.S. on an H-4-dependent visa. For years, she struggled with frustration because her visa status did not allow her to work in the U.S., but in 2015, she saw a sliver of hope after the erstwhile Barack Obama administration allowed the spouses of H-1B workers awaiting green card approval to apply for work permits of their own. Wow. Wow. She came to the United States in 2009. What was the policy in 2009? You can't work here. That's simple. You can't work here. Now, this woman is waiting for a green card. When she gets the green card, she'll be able to work here. But you shouldn't be able to work here on a non-immigrant dependent visa, but for Mr. Obama, who did everything in his power, just like most of the Democrats and all too many Republicans to screw over American workers. And I'm a registered Democrat and I'm livid. This is not what the democratic party used to be about. So here's this woman who gets on an airplane with her husband, maybe with children. I have no idea. Comes here knowing that when she gets to America, she won't be allowed to work. Who forced her on the airplane? This wasn't slavery. This isn't like what happened to, to slaves that were dragged to America against their wills. You know, this is a woman who willingly came to America and said, well, I'm going to follow my husband to America. I'm giving up my career. She's a second-class citizen. Before she left India, she knew that she could not work here. What is the problem? What is the problem? And yet I guarantee you that some schmuck is going to read this and say, oh, my God, how terrible. How terrible. Yes, it is terrible. It's terrible that Obama in 2015 pulled the the floor out from under American workers. How in the world do we keep electing supposed representatives of the citizens of this country who don't represent the citizens of this country? And I am hopeful that President Trump will take a hard look at this lunacy and say, hell no, hell no. No more of this nonsense. Americans first. Americans first. I've been saying that going back to the last several campaigns that Americans should go to the political rallies holding up signs that read, not America first, but Americans first. Americans first. The indignity, the the, the injustice of what our government has been doing. And the impact that it has been having on American workers and American families, sanctuary cities that shield gangbangers and murderers and terrorists and drunk drivers uh, from detection. They'd rather these people be out on the street killing, raping, shooting, and selling drugs than go back to their country. What makes them so valuable? What makes them so valuable? Some politician needs to be made to answer that question. And I want you folks out there to realize that this is the beginning of a new year. Typically, we make New Year's resolutions. I'm a couple days late, but here's a New Year's resolution I hope you can live with. If you go somewhere and someone starts spouting dribble, don't get into a heated thing. I'm not looking for confrontations. That's not what this is about. But if you look at the First Amendment, it's not just freedom of speech, but the right for peaceable assemblage. Don't remain silent. Get your voice heard. When people say nothing, the presumption is you are in agreement with the garbage being spewed by some idiots. I was a B'nai B'rith president back in college. It's a Jewish service organization. We used to collect lots of money for St. Jude's Hospital, and did other charitable work. Um, And of course, we we paid special attention to Judaism and, and religious custom and so forth. It was a great way to grow up. And they had a retreat in upstate New York one time, and there was a film about the price of silence. And the whole point to this film about the price of silence is that if someone is using language of hatred, the N word, whatever word, it doesn't matter which race, religion, or ethnicity, I don't want to hear that garbage about anybody, okay? And and, and no decent person does. But the point they made in the movie is that if someone uses that language and no one stands up to that person, the presumption is going to be that everyone is comfortable with that language and in agreement, Because otherwise, why would you sit there and tolerate it? We have been witnessing the wussification of America. If someone picks on you, run for help. There was a story about a kid who had ADD and he was bullied and bullied and bullied. He was bullied on on Facebook, he was bullied in the classroom, he was bullied in the schoolyard. They pushed him around, they punched him. Um, As a kid, I really didn't care much about sports. My heroes didn't play games, they didn't play baseball, they didn't play football. My parents were my biggest heroes, but next to my parents were the astronauts and test pilots. I got letters from Shepard and Grissom and met some of the astronauts. My wife got me a model of the X-1 signed by Chuck Yeager, and I have a poster autographed by Buzz Aldrin. Those are my heroes. But when you're a kid, if you're not the same as everyone, you get picked on. And, and I was scrawny, so I used to get beat up. And my dad said, Mike, you've got to go to a gym. you are got to work out. you got to learn how to box. You've got to learn how to defend yourself. And I remember one summer just going crazy at the gym every other day. I was there pumping iron and and riding my bike and doing everything I could to build myself up and boxing. And one of the goons that had been driving me nuts the year before came up to me and said, well, there's Cutler. And he took a swing and hit me in the nose. And um, instead of just standing there, I knocked him down. And we were dragged into the principal's office. And the first thing the principal said was who threw the first punch. And teachers who had seen the confrontation said that it was the other guy. And the principal said to me, Mr. Cutler, go to class. You're late. And if there's a problem, uh, have the teacher send a, you know, a messenger, and I'll, I'll, I'll write a note to explain why, every, why you were late. And the other kid had to have his parents come up. That's when the world made sense. And I'm not looking for fights, but I learned how to stand my ground. If you can't deal with a schoolyard bully, how the hell are you going to deal with life? You know? So this poor kid, who had been set upon repeatedly again and again and again, got beat up and punched and bullied, finally punched back and got suspended. Now, the bully got suspended. Wow, imagine that. But this kid, who was simply standing up for himself, got suspended also. I have to tell you, we've lost our minds. We have been conditioned to roll over and play dead, and I'm tired of rolling over and playing dead. That's what this program is about. I testified before Congress six weeks after 9-11 without permission, and the day after that hearing before the Immigration Reform Caucus, I got an overnight super-duper express mail package with smoke pouring out of the envelope, telling me that I was no longer an agent because I had injured my leg on duty, and consequently, uh, they needed to get rid of me. The timing was incredible. The package went out about two hours after the hearing ended. What do you think of that coincidence? I fought back, and by the time I got done, it was resolved and resolved the proper way. But these are all intimidation tactics to shut down dissent, to shut our mouths, to keep us from thinking and speaking, which is all part of the First Amendment, all part of democracy, all part of America's great traditions. You can't be free, and you can't practice democracy if you're afraid to open your mouth. That's what safe spaces are about. There's no, those aren't safe spaces, certainly not safe for democracy. So I ask you, please commit yourself. When you hear nonsense, get your voice heard. But do it logically. Do it with facts. Don't just shoot your mouth off. That doesn't help anybody. Don't jump. Think first. And, and where the immigration debate is concerned, I really hope that the materials I provide on this program and the materials that I provide uh, when I write for those websites will provide you with all the ammunition you need to make a coherent argument. Um, you know, my degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I was on the debating teams in high school and college. I don't believe that anyone should be able to get a degree or a diploma without spending a minimum of a full year as an active participant on a debating team. So when you hear this garbage, please don't let it roll off your back. Don't turn another cheek. Pretty soon we're all going to run out of cheeks, boys and girls. At some point, you have to stand up and say just one darn moment. You're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm not going to sit here and listen to you. We have to stake out our our turf because we're being pushed into a corner. and, And gradually, the idea of being an independent thinker is going the way of the dodo bird. In fact, that's why I wrote an article for the social contract that the road to tyranny is paved with language censorship. Words are how we think. When you can take words out of the vernacular, which is what Newspeak was all about, you really need to read 1984. Please read 1984. You must. It's a short book. It's an interesting book. It's a classic. When I was a kid, we had to read it. Not surprisingly, uh, many schools don't want you to read it these days. There's a good reason for it. It might make people think. But the whole idea to newspeak was to eliminate the words, and with the elimination of words, you were eliminating the thoughts that the words represented. That's how you create a totalitarian state. This isn't political correctness. It's Orwellian. It's all Orwellian. So that's item number one. Item number two, illegal immigration and crime. The open borders... Immigration anarchists, as I refer to them. And that was the term I used. I was invited to be on with Heather Childers over at Fox and Friends First. And that's how I describe the people that want amnesty and don't want the fence and don't want, or the wall, and don't want, you know, security here. This isn't a pro immigrant approach. That's more newspeak. This is an anarchist approach. And those of us who believe in a secure border and effective immigration law enforcement are not anti-immigrant or anti-immigration, okay? Don't allow that to go without challenge. When people say, oh, you're anti-immigrant, I say, no, I'm pro-enforcement. Now, here's a trick you may not know, but anytime someone is identified as being anti-anything, you're standing in a hole. If you look at the abortion debate. It's pro-life versus pro-choice. You could say anti-abortion. You know, the people that are pro-life are smart enough to know better than to say that we're anti-abortion. They say we're pro-life. Why, then, are we allowing ourselves to be defined as anti-immigrant when we say let's make certain we don't let criminals and terrorists come into the country? Let's not bring in workers who are displacing American workers. Is that anti-immigrant? Or is it pro-enforcement? It's pro-enforcement. In fact, America legally admits more than a million lawful immigrants every year. They have green cards. They're on the path to citizenship. And by the way, that's something else that Donald Trump wants to address. And he's, and we're talking about this in terms of DACA, that if you become a citizen today, you can not only bring in your wife and kids, which makes sense with your husband and kids, you can bring in your parents. Well, you know what? I agree with that. And I think Donald Trump says also. Because if if we're talking about an adult who's coming here to live and perhaps their parents are elderly, perhaps of failing health, or perhaps, God willing, their health is good, but they're helping with the kids because today many couples uh, both work. So who better to take care of the children than their grandparents? So why not let them come? And that's the law today. But the law today also allows a new citizen or any citizen to petition the government to permit all of their brothers and all of their sisters and all of their half brothers and all of their half sisters and all of their spouses and all of their minor children to come to the United States and get green cards, be put on the path to citizenship. This is madness. In fact, I addressed this uh, in an article that I did for front page magazine and it was called debunking lies about immigration and family reunification And uh, and the subtitle was, It's Time to Put the Interest of American Families First. What a novel thought. So we're always told from the open borders crowd, the anarchists, well, if they're going to come here, it's not fair to split up families. Well, again, no one's being put on airplanes at gunpoint. This isn't the slave trade. People come knowing full well what's going on, right? They've made a conscious decision to come to America. And splitting up families, Really? Uh, Look, here's something that's never discussed, but I talk about it in my article. A little food for thought. There are two general categories of visas that are available for aliens who seek to enter the United States. Non-immigrant visas and immigrant visas. Non-immigrant visas are tourist visas, student visas. We we just talked about the H-1Bs and the H-4s. Those are non-immigrant visas. What do we mean by non-immigrant They do not put that person, that alien, on the pathway to a green card or citizenship. They come for a finite period of time, and then they are required to leave. Okay? So it's like renting a hotel room. You don't get evicted generally from a hotel room. You say to the the hotel, I want to spend a week in Miami Beach, and they give you a room, and at the end of the week, at night, you know, they slip the bill through the door, and they tell you checkout time is 12 noon. That's the way it works. You had your week, you paid for your week, time to go home. Now, you may want to stay two more days. You go down to the desk and you say, hey, can I keep this room for two more days? We're having such a good time. And aliens can do that with immigration. We need to stay a little longer. Or what we used to do, the real deferred action, not the make-believe deal that Obama created with DACA. A a child breaks his ankle, okay? He's playing in a park and he he twists his ankle. His ankle is broken. He's in the hospital or one of their relatives that they were visiting in the United States has a heart attack. We're not going to tell those people, leave grandma in the the, the intensive care unit and get on an airplane because your time is up. What those folks would do is go to the doctor, get a note from the doctor that you can bring to immigration, fill out a form and say, please permit us to remain in the country because one of our family members is critically ill and we don't want to leave while they're ill. We want to help out around the house and so forth. And we would do this, and we would have the doctor prepare a note, and they would have to keep in touch with us so we would know how things were progressing, and we would extend it. On rare occasion, we might even give employment authorization if the people had to stay here for a really lengthy period of time, and they were running out of money, out of humanitarian concerns, we would let that happen. But what Obama did was to take that humanitarian program and drop a net on a population of nearly a million illegal aliens and say, you're all in. Very few were interviewed. There were no field investigations. God knows when these people came here. But here's the cute story. The age cutoff was 31. If this was really about children, why would it be 31? The idea was to get as many illegal aliens into this amnesty program as possible. Um, I've just written an article for Front Page. I'll have more to say about it, presumably, next week. But I want all of you to understand the way we're being conned, the way we're being scammed, You know, we all read these stories about that couple that gets an email, and we all get these crazy emails. Congratulations, you've just won $5 million in, you know, the, the BS lottery. Now, most of us look at that, and we kick it into spam. But there are some rocket scientists out there, you know, these are geniuses. And they look at that, and they go, oh, my God, $5 million. Oh, wow, we've hit it we're rich we're rich and they're jumping up and down and then they read the rest of the email and it says give us your name your date of birth your address your date and and your bank id and send us a check for five thousand dollars to cover expenses to process your winning lottery tickets now fortunately not too many people but some people actually go to the bank it might be their life savings and send off that check for five thousand dollars. Now, first of all, they obviously didn't buy the lottery ticket because it's a non-existent lottery. So, question one that they should be asking, and I've often said that I'd like to write a book. I did write an article with the title, The Art of the Question. You know, Donald Trump has the art of the deal for me. It's always been the art of the question. And I always jokingly say that they say the Jews answer a question with another question. I am a Jew. So I guess I'm predisposed to ask questions, okay? So the first question that you should be asking is, how the heck could I win a lottery when I didn't buy a ticket? You got to be in it to win it, right? Didn't buy a ticket, but you won. Wow, that's amazing. The other question is, why in the world would I send them money when they are going to send me $5 million? Just tell them, hey, take the $5,000 off the $5 million and we're good. Now, if that was legitimate, that's what would happen. When people win the real lottery, they're told it's a $5 million lottery. Read the articles. After taxes, they're actually going to get you know, $3,219, whatever it is. That's how it normally works. You don't send money to them so they can give you your check. But by not thinking things through, by not asking questions, by not challenging the nonsense, they wind up losing a lot of money. That's what's happening to America. People don't stop and ask the critical questions. Make that resolution number two. Don't be afraid to ask questions. My father and mother taught me the only dumb question was, you know what the answer is? The question you did not ask. That's the dumb question. Don't take things at face value. Don't trust these bums. What's in their best interest? Not what's in your best interest, because they don't care what's in your best interest. They could care less. So this is how the great swindle happens. So go back to what we were talking about. We don't want to split up these families. Why in the world do we have to give those brothers and sisters and their spouses and their children immigrant visas so they could live here forever? If they want to come and visit, let them get a tourist visa. You know, I began my career with the INS as an inspector at Kennedy Airport and travel was heaviest at the major holidays, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year, uh, Easter, certain holiday Why? Why were those holidays the heavy travel days? Because we had people from other countries coming to the United States to do what? Visit with family members who were living here so they could celebrate the holiday. Sometimes they came because there was a wedding and they would bring the invitation and all the other stuff. Unfortunately, sometimes there'd be a death in the family, or somebody was injured, and so they would they would go to the embassy and get a visa and prove that in fact, you know, their aunt was in the hospital. You don't have to give green cards out so people could come and spend time with relatives, but nobody wants to talk about that because if you talk about that, there goes this notion of giving green cards to everybody in, in sight which would be in the best interests of America and Americans. If you don't have enough jobs to go around, why would you bring in more workers, right? It costs 20 to 40% more to educate children who can't speak, read or write English. Today we're taking money that should go to kids with learning disabilities. And guess where the money is going? English is a second language. Well, Why is that happening? Because we keep on admitting more and more and more and more young people who can't speak English And they come from third world countries. How does that help our school system? You see? So the solution is simple. It's called a non-immigrant visa. So these folks can come here. They can visit for a month or two months or three months, get back on a big airplane and fly home or drive across the border or get on that boat. Just leave. Your time is up hit up, don't overstay the welcome. Don't let the door hit you on the backside on the way out. Why have you not heard this on television, folks? You know why? Because that's something that the globalists don't want you to hear. So when people say, oh, my God, could you imagine these poor people come to America and they're never going to be able to see their brothers and sisters again? Really? Let them get a tourist visa. Let them get a tourist visa. And you know what? I'm a sport. I'm magnanimous. I'm a good guy. Let's have a special category of visa that's really a highly polished tourist visa. And we'll give people a separate line at U.S. embassies and consulates, and it's going to have a little sign on the window, relatives of American citizens, family of American citizens. And it's a special line so that you can get a new category of visa, but it's a non-immigrant temporary visa visa for aliens who have family members who are citizens of the United States. There is no reason that the solution to every problem says, and so we gave them green cards, right? We can't deport 11 million. There's probably 40 million. So let's legalize them all and give them green cards. And that's what we're hearing about DACA now, right? These poor people, they came as children. They claim they came as children. They claim they came as children. They can be as old now as 36 or 37 years of age. Why? Because when Obama did this back in 2012, the age cutoff was 31. Do the math. Do the math. So understand what's happening. It's a big con artist scam, and the American people never question anything. Oh, that sounds about right. Yep, I guess that's right. Uh Uh-huh, I guess so. Baloney. There are solutions that are reasonable. But you're not going to hear about it from the globalists, because they have a goal. And their goal is to confer citizenship on the whole world. Their goal is to take down the borders that to them are an impediment to their wealth. Never mind that it's our first and last line of defense against terrorists and criminals. To the globalists, those borders are an impediment to their wealth. And they're happy the drugs are coming into America. Make no mistake about it. They are thrilled to see heroin pouring into the country. They are thrilled to see cocaine and meth flowing into the country It's the banks get to move the money around, and they are literally making out like bandits. There have been stories on 60 Minutes about the prescription opiates. Well, guess what happens when people can't get the prescriptions anymore? Besides the drugs that get diverted, and DEA has a division called Diversion, and I worked with DEA uh, for almost 15 years. First as an INS, the first INS representative to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration. And then I was promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. So how many people are are on heroin now because they couldn't get their hands on oxycodone? So they flipped over to heroin. Why heroin? It's much cheaper. Much, much, much cheaper. And, And so why are there no commercials on TV warning people about heroin or crack or meth? Why? They have great commercials on about Cigarette smoke. They have have commercials on about all kinds of stuff. Don't do this. Don't do that. The cigarette commercials are really tough for me to watch. My dad died of lung cancer uh, in part because he smoked those Chesterfield blowtorches, but also because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War because he loved this country, as did my mom. So I have a rough time watching those cancer commercials about cigarettes. I really do. I think anybody would. Why don't we have commercials that are anything like that about the drugs? Because... The drug trade is pouring money into real estate, Wall Street, and the banking industries. So understand what open borders brings us. It brings us drugs and gangs and violence, the threat of terrorism, cheap labor. How is this helpful to the average American who's desperate for a job and whose wages are being shrunk because If you bring in enough third-world workers, they bring with them third-world expectations of wages and working conditions. And also, another article that I wrote, Trump links immigration law enforcement to national security. Well, so did the 9-11 Commission, and I provided testimony to the Commission. When did you ever hear politicians discuss immigration the way that Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions did? You haven't. You haven't. Now, why is that? Because they're globalists. They're globalists. In fact, if you read my article, you'll see a quote in my article in Front Page Magazine about this. John Hostetler used to chair the House Immigration Subcommittee. Um, In fact, I testified before John, I think, eight or nine times. I also went to campaign with him when he was running for re-election in Indianapolis. Good guy. And he's a very conservative Republican. And here I am, a Democrat from Brooklyn, campaigning with a conservative member of the Republican Party in Congress. Why? Because John Hostetler got it right on immigration. How important is immigration? Well, as I said at the beginning of this hour, it is a singular issue that impacts every challenge and threat we face. So maybe I don't agree with John Hostetler on abortion, or he doesn't agree with me. By the way, that doesn't make us enemies. This country's tearing itself apart. We can disagree with each other and be friends. I have many friends who are conservatives, and I don't keep my my feelings to myself. What I tell you to do, I do. Believe me, I do. Nobody has any trouble finding out what I stand for and where I stand on the issues. And there's nothing more exciting than an evening of debate with friends over a beer or a cup of coffee, a nice meal, and you try to solve the world's problems, we never succeed, hint. but think of how intellectually stimulating it is. And you know what sometimes happens when we do that? We sometimes change our opinions on certain issues. You see, I've made it a personal policy to try to learn something brand new every day. Sometimes I learn three or four more new things every day, and those are red banner days because life is about growing and learning. So debate helps us to better understand the issues. And sometimes we've come to the conclusion that maybe we got something wrong. And if we're uh, big enough to use that term my parents used to use, big enough to admit it, maybe you'll modify your thoughts. Maybe your friend who disagrees with you says, gee whiz, Mike Cutler's right and I was wrong. And that's happened during debates. So we come away with a better understanding. And there's no animosity. We're friends. That's how America used to be. We forgot what it was like when there was some rational sanity. We've lost our bloody minds. We attack each other. I have never seen our country so eager to rip itself to shreds. And for what purpose? What benefit is it to us? Our adversaries are laughing their tails off. Why are we allowing this to happen? We're worried about North Korea and their weapons and their new and their nuclear capability, and we should be. But where do you think it came from? It came from Iran, and because GE wanted to sell turbines, electric, you know, electric electric generating turbines for nuclear power plants to Iran under the Carter administration, I believe, that technology was transferred to Iran. Now, yeah, the Shah of Iran was our ally and so forth, but we officially have a policy of, nu- of nuclear non-proliferation. If you're trying to not allow nuclear technology to spread around the world, why are you spreading it around the world? Well, you're doing it because GE and other companies looking to make money were happy to make money and the hell with the long-term consequences. You know, one of America's problems is that we have myopia. Our politicians think long-term planning is the next election. CEOs think Long term planning is the next earnings report. When you look at our adversaries, China, Russia, India, um, Iran, for them, long term planning is decades down the road, generations down the road. Right now, we have 150,000 Chinese students studying the STEM curriculum in the United States. Why? These are non immigrant students. Their goal is to go back to China and bring what they've learned with them and the technology, and they get to get practical training in the United States, and they very often work for companies where they're able to carry out espionage. These are self-inflicted wounds. If you really want to make certain that Americans do well, put American kids on those campuses. I'd be happy to give a free college education to children living in poverty, and I don't care if they're black, white, purple, or have yellow polka dots. It doesn't matter. You look at socioeconomics. If you have a child who has the intellect and who has the motivation and maintains a good grade score and wants to study a course of study that is advantageous to society, and, 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 you know, people are going to say, oh, that's terrible. Well, too bad. If you want to study remedial basket weaving, that's fine. Do it on your dime, not my dime. But if you want to be a doctor or a biochemist or a nuclear physicist and you've got the ability You are an investment, and America should be investing in its own citizens. Kids living in poverty develop a sense of hopelessness, and understandably so. Understandably so. As an agent, I went into buildings where rats ran through the hallways. They were bigger than cats, where bullets whizzed by the window, where there was no heat in the wintertime, no air conditioning in the summertime, the filth and the stench of poverty, as one of my colleagues referred to it. Uh, was sickening. Who in their right mind would want to live that way? The question isn't what would those kids be willing to do to get out of poverty? It's what wouldn't they do? And all too often, the only way out is to become involved in crime. When you have kids who have no legitimate way to make money and they are desperate, bad things happen. We need to change the equation. The nonsense of seeing riots in American cities. And the politicians showing up in their limos, getting out of the limo, looking around, making a speech, jumping back in the limo and disappearing again and got to stop. If you're really concerned about people living in those conditions in this great nation, then do something about it besides running your mouth. I would much rather pay to build classrooms than jail cells, folks. We're doing it bass-ackwards. We're doing it bass-ackwards. And we're in shock at the results. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. We are acting idiotically and shocked that it doesn't work. We have to change the equation. Politicians either stand with us or they need to be voted out of office. That's the work Americans can and must do. So we've got a new year coming. And my question is, what difference are you going to make for the new year? I'm glad you're listening to my program. I hope you find what I'm telling you interesting, informative, Please share it with your friends and neighbors. You like the articles? If you know, if you use Facebook, I don't. I, I can't deal with social media. I'm a dinosaur. But if you're on Facebook, put it up there. Please post it. Call up your friends. Forward the emails. We've got to get people to understand the truth. And as I used to tell the bad guys before an interrogation, I would admonish them that there's only one version of the truth. I don't change the words I use. I don't change my viewpoint depending on the audience that I'm standing in front of, because the truth is always the truth. And there's only one version of the truth. The globalists keep changing the language. The globalists know that they can't win a debate by telling the truth. And by the way, this difference about criminal, about illegal aliens versus immigrants, a study done by the justice department said that 94% of aliens who are incarcerated in federal prisons came to America illegally. So if you don't think there's a difference in terms of how people come here, there sure as hell is. 94% of the people incarcerated in federal prisons are here illegally. And yet Sanctuary City shield and harbor them from detection by ICE. How many people are dying because of this corrupt practice? But if you dare say anything, you're going to be criticized. Well, guess what, folks? Grow a spine and stand up We've shed enough blood because of this. We run risks of terrorism, gangs, and narcotics. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Tell yourself this year, enough is enough. And by the way, we still don't even know who's sitting in the prisons on the city and state level, especially when those prisons are in sanctuary cities, and now we have Sanctuary State, California. Craziness. The cure for recidivism, criminals. Getting out of jail and committing more crimes, when we're talking about aliens, there is a cure for recidivism. It's called deportation, or as it's now known, removal. It's a privilege to visit in your neighbor's home. It's a privilege for a person to go to some other country and be admitted into that other country. Act as a guest. Follow the law. You know that old expression, we don't hear anymore when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do? That's wonderful. But we are encouraging people to come to America, violate our borders, violate our laws with the promise of reward from both parties. From both parties, what is needed is deterrence through enforcement. Donald Trump is pushing in that direction. I'm just hopeful that this DACA business um, doesn't become a bargaining chip. These folks are here illegally. Let them go home. Let them petition the government to come back legally. You get one opportunity for a first impression. The first laws that foreign nationals generally encounter when they enter America or seek to come to America are our immigration laws. We are providing one hell of a dangerous first impression. Because of a succession of previous administrations, the American people should be thrilled to death that Donald Trump is trying to do what he's doing. He needs to be encouraged, not chastised. I thank you for joining me on my show today. Um, Again, Happy New Year, everybody. And please remember, democracy is not a spectator sport. I look forward to seeing you again next time right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend. Stay warm, everybody. Good night.